Well, good morning once again. I think I saw Daniel slip out, but I just wanted to thank him for that song. I hadn't heard that song in a number of years, and it just, it really, it, it makes me think of my grandma, my Mimi, because I remember the first time I ever heard that song was with her, and then she got the CD, and she played over and over and over, and um, yeah, so that was a nice, a nice little memory. Um, and some and some good, good good theology in the words of that song for sure. So, since it's currently tax season in America, I thought this would be a good time to turn our attention to the story of Matthew Levi. Matthew Levi, in Jesus's day, the Jews in Palestine were living under Roman rule. And it was oppressive. First century tax collectors or publicans, you'll, you'll see those, those terminologies used um, back and forth in the scriptures. They essentially mean the same thing. But these, these folks were responsible for collecting general taxes on property and income, as well as duty on imports and exports, essentially anything that came along the road. And the tax collectors of Jesus' day were certain Jews enlisted by the Romans, collecting money from their fellow Jews and giving that money to a foreign occupying enemy. That's, That's what was going on here. And so of all the Roman officials in Palestine, none were more hated than the publicans and tax collectors. And not only were these tax gatherers instruments of Roman oppression, but many of them were also extortioners for their own benefit, cheating out the people, their own people. They enriched themselves at the expense of their fellow. And a Jew who accepted this high office within the Roman machine was looked at as a traitor, betraying the honor of the Jewish nation. Jewish tax collectors were despised. They were seen as apostates and classified among the vilest of society. And it was to this class that Matthew Levi belonged. Yet, as we pick up the story today, we'll see that Jesus comes along and changes everything everything. The Pharisees had already judged Matthew according to his employment, yet Jesus saw this man's heart. And in that heart, he knew that Matthew was open to the reception of truth. It's a beautiful story. And Matthew, at this point, he'd already heard some of Jesus's teachings. He'd heard some of the rumors He'd heard some of the words with his own ears, but he was so accustomed to the stuffy exclusiveness of the Pharisees and the rabbis. And because of this, Matthew never would have guessed, never in a million years would have imagined that this new great teacher, Jesus, would even notice him or pay him any attention. 
But Luke 5, 27 through 28, it says, after these things, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he, Matthew Levi, left all, rose up, and followed him. Hmm. Notice here there's no hesitation from Matthew Levi. There was no questioning, no thought of the lucrative business that he was about to exchange for poverty, hardship, and persecution. Jesus had noticed him. And not only that, Jesus had asked him to follow after him. And so with this little foundation laid, I'd like to share just a short three-minute clip to help your imagination come alive as to how this scene would have played out. So if I could just get the AV team just to lower the lights a little bit and to turn the volume up. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alpheus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going? Guys, let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're going to throw it all away. Yes. I don't get it. You didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a text collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? I grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. You see, Jesus wanted 
loyalty and consecration to the kingdom of God. Matthew was wealthy while Peter was poor. But a similar call, a, a similar test came from Jesus to them both. At the moment of Peter's greatest success, when the net was so full of fish that it was about to burst, the impulses of his old life, his old way of living, they were at their strongest. Yet it was at that very moment when Jesus asked Peter to leave it all behind and to follow him. While Matthew was in the tax booth doing his job, surrounded by all that he had been given, all that he had built up with with money and power, it was in that very moment that Jesus called him to leave all and follow him. The same test is given to each one of us as well. We all have different desires, comforts and protections, but Jesus is calling us. He is asking us whether our desire for earthly goods and temporal wants is greater than the call for fellowship with him. None of us will truly succeed in the service of God unless our whole heart is in it. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to walk away from your career or your hobbies or other pursuits. I believe that oftentimes God wants to use us where we are. But if God did ask you to leave something behind or give something up in the name of the gospel, would you be willing to heed his call? Just something to think about something to pray about. Jesus doesn't need our ability. Jesus wants our availability. Matthew was not chosen because of what he would do, what he could do. He was called because of what he was willing to give up, which was everything, everything. Now, as we saw in that short clip, Jesus's calling of Matthew brought about a lot of confusion and indignation amongst his disciples, amongst the other people that were there. But it didn't just stop right there in that that little circle. For a religious teacher like Jesus to choose somebody like a tax collector as one of his closest followers was an offense against religious, social, and national customs. This was unheard of. This was ridiculous, and it caught a lot of people's attention, including other tax collectors and publicans. Their interest was piqued, and their hearts were drawn toward this divine teacher. And as should be the case with us when Jesus comes and changes our lives, Matthew was eager to bring his former colleagues and friends to Christ. A party was being planned, and Matthew Levi wanted all of his friends to be there to meet Jesus. Luke 5.29, then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, And there was a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. 
These others that also came to the party were seen as having a, a doubtful reputation by their more judgmental neighbors, as we will clearly see in the next verse. This party was given in Jesus's honor, and he didn't hesitate to accept. He offered that courtesy. I'd imagine with a warm smile, a happy heart. He knew all too well that this would offend and upset the Pharisees and the scribes and may have even compromised him in the eyes of some other people, but Jesus did not let that stop him. Church politics was not a game that Jesus played, nor did he let it influence his movements. If he did, he never would have called Matthew. If he did, he never would have gone into Matthew's house and ate with him. There were many, though, at the table whose souls were thirsting for the water of life, and that was the exact kind of thing that Jesus was about. These people may have been seen as sinners by their fellow Jews, but Jesus recognized the dignity of humanity and sought to act upon it, to encourage, to give hope. His words fell upon the ears of those who were hungering and thirsting after righteousness, those who were empty and seeking to be filled. And Christ's teaching to them was a blessing of life-giving power. They found acceptance in Jesus. They found acceptance there. New hope was awakened within the souls of these outcasts of society, and they finally, maybe for the first time, saw the possibility for a new life. Dear friends, those are the two things that Jesus is offering to all of us. Those are the two things that Jesus is offering to all of humanity. Acceptance and a fresh start. Jesus offers acceptance and a fresh start. And to Matthew Levi, this day would be a memory that he would cherish throughout the rest of his life and ministry. But even with all the hope, joy, and encouragement that was bubbling up from within this house, that was being poured out around this table, the spirit of Satan was also at work behind the scenes. Verse 30 says, and their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? The scribes and the Pharisees, they, they showed up to crash the party. And their church politics, their willingness to play the game, led them to question the disciples about Jesus. They sharpened their tongues, and they launched their words like arrows, hoping to infect emotional wounds upon all those present. They'd done it before. This was just sort of par for the course. This is the way that Satan has always worked. Ever since that he got booted out of heaven, 
and all who try to cause discord and alienation and shame amongst their fellow humans are, whether they know it or not, being led by the same Spirit. As I mentioned before, the scribes and Pharisees were, were veterans in the game of church politics. So the fact that Jesus gave no credence to the game left them bewildered, confused. And I like how Mark terms their question in his gospel account. He says that they came in and they asked the question, how is it that he eats with sinners and tax collectors? How is it? They're just like, how is this even possible? We can't make sense of this. They couldn't comprehend how such a move was even possible with a religious teacher like Jesus. But you see, the Pharisees were mystified by his movements because they misunderstood his motives. They were merely playing a game of power and control while Jesus was busy winning souls to the kingdom. The scribes and Pharisees came in and they, they tried to put the disciples in a tough position, back them against the wall with their question, but I love, love, love how Jesus doesn't wait for the disciples to respond before he steps in and comes to their aid. Verse 31 and 32, Jesus answered and said to them, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Pharisees claimed to be spiritually whole and therefore in no need of a physician, while they also at the same time regarded the publicans and, and, and Gentiles, sinners as they called them, as perishing from diseases of the soul. Yet the Pharisees were the blind ones. They thought quite highly of themselves, yet in actuality, they were in a worse condition than the ones that they judged and despised. The publicans and tax collectors at this party were less bigoted and less self-sufficient and thus were more open to the influence of truth. They admitted their emptiness and we're ready to be filled. It's better to admit our emptiness. As I mentioned last week, it's because of our emptiness that we can be ready and able to be filled. And Jesus longs to fill us. That's good news. Good news. In our story, though, Jesus continues. He says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous sinners to repentance. Wow. Just think of the audacity of Jesus here. Remember, these are the learned religious teachers of the day. They are not just familiar with the Old Testament. They have it entirely memorized, completely memorized. And Jesus is telling them that they might have missed something. He's encouraging them to go back to their sacred text and to study some more. But he's quoting here this, I desire mercy and not sacrifice from Hosea. Hosea 6.6. 6. So again, 
Old Testament, these scribes and Pharisees, they, they have this memorized. This isn't new to them in terms of the words, but maybe the spiritual application is being brought to them for the first time. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offering. In other words, Jesus is saying that it is more important for people to know who God is, a.k.a. to understand his character of love, justice, and mercy. It's more important to know who God is than to offer our sacrifices, our acts of devotion, our offerings. You see, it's, it's very easy to just go through the motions of religion, but it's another thing entirely to understand, comprehend, and meet with the very character of God. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And the religious leaders here, they would have been absolutely flabbergasted and angered by these words that just rolled out of Jesus' mouth. Who was he to tell them to go back and study the sacred texts? They were the, the, the holders of the sacred text. You've got to remember that at this point, Jesus is relatively young. And he is not the, the typical example of what a rabbi was in his day. He hadn't gone through all the years of schooling. He hadn't gone through all the, the years of practicing the religious rites. And remember, because the Pharisees misunderstood his motives, they didn't even consider the fact that Jesus was eating with publicans and sinners in order to bring the light of heaven to those who were sitting in darkness. That's what he was doing. That was his goal. But gifts can only bless as far as, as, far as they are received. A gift does no good if it just sits up on the top shelf unwrapped and unused. And we are told in James 1.17 that every good and perfect gift comes from God above. It's my conviction that Jesus is the greatest gift that has ever been given to the world, ever been given. He is joy to the poor, for Christ had come to make them heirs of his kingdom. Joy to the rich, for he would teach them how to secure eternal riches. Joy to the ignorant, he would make them wise unto salvation and joy to the learned. He would open to them deeper mysteries than they had ever fathomed before. Yet the Pharisees would not receive the gifts of Jesus because they, 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 they wanted to exalt themselves by their, their rigorous observances of forms and customs while their hearts were hardened with envy and strife. Legalism and hatred fueled them. The Pharisees, they, they thought themselves too wise to need instruction, too righteous to need salvation, too honored to receive that special type of honor that only comes from Jesus. The religious leaders thought that they had it all together. The faith that works by love and purifies the soul could find no place for union within the religion of the Pharisees because they were full 
of hollow ceremonies. They were full of the commandments of men. And in a sense, you you wouldn't be too wrong to say the Pharisees were full of it. They were full of it, and they wanted everyone to know that they were full of it. And it is because of that fact that the Savior turned away from them to find others who would receive the message of heaven. And the untutored fishermen, and the despised publican in the marketplace, and the hopeless woman in Samaria, and the common people who heard him gladly and admitted their emptiness, he found his new bottles ready to be filled with the new wine. The instruments to be used in the gospel work are those souls who gladly receive and cherish the light that God has presented to them. The people Jesus wishes to build up his kingdom are those who can admit their emptiness and accept Jesus' desire to fill them with his spirit. Until emptied of the old traditions, customs, and practices, though, the scribes and Pharisees had No room, no room in the inn of their minds and their hearts for Christ. They clung to the dead forms and turned away from the living truth and the power of God. They already saw themselves as full. And giving her own commentary to this sad situation, Ellen White wrote this, thousands are making the same mistake as did the Pharisees whom Christ reproved at Matthew's feast. Rather than give up some cherished idea or discard some idol of opinion, many refuse the truth which comes down from the Father of light. They trust in self and depend upon their own wisdom and do not realize their spiritual poverty. They insist on being saved in some way by which they may perform some important work. When they see that there is no way of weaving self into the work, they reject the salvation provided. Mercy. Dear friends, a legal religion can never lead souls to Christ, for it is a loveless, Christless religion. Our own works can never purchase salvation. Yes, sin has brought brokenness into the world, yet we can take courage because Psalm 51, 17 says, the sacrifices of God are a broken heart, a broken and a contrite heart. Sorry, a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, oh God, you will not despise. Did did you catch that? We are not despised by God because of our brokenness. Our brokenness can lead us to hopefully admit to our emptiness. And it is in that emptiness that God sees the opportunity to fill us. We cannot put ourselves back together. We cannot save ourselves, though we may try, but we can come to Jesus and be filled. It was because of their emptiness that God was able to fill the early apostles on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2, 4, it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. And this event led to the spreading of the gospel message throughout the rest of the known world. 
You and I are here today in this building having this talk because of this event, because the early apostles were willing to admit their emptiness. Dear friends, bask in the love of God. Spend time with him and come to the knowledge of his character. As Ephesians 3 says, know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be, what everyone? Filled with all the fullness of God. When, when, when God fills you, he doesn't just fill a part of you. He wants to fill all of you. Fullness of God. Sin broke us and emptied us. Yet even in our weaknesses, failures, and sins, we are not cast aside as worthless. Instead, Christ sees us as the purchase of his blood. The purchase of his blood. Matthew Levi was cast aside as worthless by society in his day. He was viewed as broken and empty. But Jesus came along, put him back together, and filled him. Filled him. And maybe you have been beaten down by people in your life. Maybe you have been cast aside, excluded, and judged by others in this world. Maybe you have been despised and called a sinner by a Pharisee in your life. If that is you, and you've said everything else that I've said today, please remember this. Jesus is the friend of sinners. Jesus is the friend of sinners. Jesus offered Matthew Levi acceptance and a fresh start. Jesus offered the woman at the well acceptance and a fresh start. Jesus offered the demon-possessed man acceptance and a fresh start. Jesus offered the woman caught in adultery acceptance and a fresh start. And Jesus is offering the same thing to you today, dear friends. And so today, if you want to take hold of this gift that Jesus is offering you, if you are in need of acceptance and a fresh start, then I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand with me. Just raise your hand with me now as we pray. And after I pray, if there's anybody here that has any special needs, any special requests, any special praises that you would like to share, then after I have this closing prayer, just come forward. Chongo will be down here at the foot of the steps. I'll be on the other side. We would love to speak with you. We would love to hear from you and take your petitions, take your praises to the throne of grace where God is also waiting with joyous enrapture to hear from you. Let us pray. Our loving, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. Lord, when we look at our lives, when we look at the messes that we've made, when we look at the messes that have been pushed upon us, the things that we've experienced, the trauma that we have felt, the error that we have fallen into, the people that have hurt us, the people we have hurt, Lord, we just look at ourselves and we, we, we just can't help but wonder, Lord, am I lost? Am I a sinner? But Lord, we are grateful for Jesus. Because Jesus is the friend of sinners. Lord, we need a friend like that. 
Lord, we need to be closer to Jesus. We need to be closer to you. So Lord, right now, if you saw our hand raised in the air, it's because we are admitting our emptiness. Lord, we admit that right now. But we also know that Jesus longs to fill us and we accept that gift. Lord, fill us. Make us whole. Not just our body, but body, mind, and spirit. Make us holistically whole. Fill us with your spirit. And Lord, as we, we have this experience with you, as we grow deeper and deeper in our understanding of your character, as we fall deeper and deeper in our love for you and what you've done for us in the world, give us opportunities then to share that with others because there are other people that need to hear this. There are other people that don't know that Jesus is the friend of sinners. So Lord, as you fill us, then equip us so that we can follow through with this, with this call, with this task, each one reach one. Give us divine appointments this week, we ask. We give ourselves to you completely in the same way that Jesus gave himself to us completely, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen, amen and amen.